please also lend me your hands and we'll create our way toward Halloween. First question today is from John Rodriguez, CBC. Go ahead, John. Hi, Dr. Henry. Can you just comment on how things got so maybe out of hand? I mean, there's an institution because this has sort of been on the, the province's radar for a number uh, of days. Uh, and also, just given the amount of outreach we've seen, you know, the outbreak at mission institutions and poultry plants, what will it take for us to kind of manage some of these new and emerging outbreaks, get a hold on these types of things? So with the first one, um, from the very beginning, um, we knew it was going to be a problem with the, uh, the federal immigration facility. Um, it's, a, it's a very difficult uh, environment to effectively place the people who are ill from the field, and we know that that's um, a big part of the issue. Um, one of the reasons why we're seeing the increased numbers today, however, is over the last few days we have been systematically testing all of the inmates symptoms that are there. So we've been looking at if we can find people with minimal or asymptomatic um, the symptoms from elsewhere. And so that's some of why we're seeing such a, a big jump today. I think we are making headway in dealing with this issue. There, there were uh, two inmates who were in the hospital that were quite concerned at this time. But it is a very challenging environment. So we need to find some difficulties to, to um, effectively isolate people who are sick with the Thank you. 
the system now to make sure that that happens and reach the people that we are continuing to get from the very beginning um, and that we will continue to distribute and to um, as much as we can in order for this to be as toxic and as unstable as we are able to provide um, the longer term supplies for Dr. Henry, thanks for taking my question. You touched on this a little bit um, with tent communities about to be cleared out. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you see happening? Um, I know it's volunteer uh, until mid May. Can you talk about the challenges? Sure. And you know, this is this is not this is not something that we have. This is something we have been dealing with for um, in some cases uh, years since the. Dr. Henry, back to mission. Um, I would note that when there was an outbreak at a provincial correctional facility, the province appears to me to have acted very quickly, capped it off. And I'm just wondering, um, is this situation at mission partly a failure on the part of the federal agency? Either they didn't know what they were dealing with early enough that they couldn't have taken their steps quickly enough, or they didn't call on the province for help because it looks to me like there's a very different narrative. 
it's very challenging. There's a, there's different circumstances in the facilities as well. This is a women's room facility that kinds of accommodations that you're going to be in it are, are different. Um, people are there for a longer period of time. There's a lot of turnover uh, for patient management facilities. Um, and, and it is always challenging. We, by the time the outbreak was recognized in We now know a student who had been in a federal prison in California where we know prisoners were released early because of COVID-19 had been extradited to Canada. Can you just walk us through this process if you can? We know he was escorted back to Canada by our community members, we believe to YBR. So will this individual be isolated for two weeks? And if so, where? And what's the protocol here when it comes to uh, bringing home a prisoner who has to be isolated? But obviously, I'm assuming we don't want to put him in with the general population at this point coming back to California. So I don't have any knowledge of the specific um, case that you're talking about. Um, I, I can tell you in general, anybody who's coming into the province right now has to have an approved um, self-isolation plan. And we have facilities that we can do that effectively. So we have people who are being um, uh, isolated in
Dr. Henry, um, there's been some speculation that some U.S. military personnel have not been self-isolating upon entry to BC before actually traveling the province to get some postings in Alaska or back to the continental U.S. for the next posting. And of course, on their journey through BC, they need hotels and services, just like any, anybody else would have to if they set it to the province. Um, and small remote communities like Fort Nelson, which happens to be on the Alaska Highway are not equipped to handle an outbreak. So I'm wondering, can you please clarify the requirements that are specific to um, U.S. military entering D.C. and how this is overseen? Uh, I can't. I don't know what uh, the requirements are for specifically for U.S. military. Um, so I will get back to you on that one. I will tell you that any non-essential travel that has entered Alaska's border, there are many ways that people get to Alaska, not just driving through BC. Um, there's that may be one way, and so I don't have knowledge about uh, U.S. military specifically. Uh, we do have processes in place for any of the essential workers who are coming back and forth across the border, including self-monitoring, having isolation in their in, uh, in their own homes so that we are not out in the community as we could. Like, is there a cutoff point or number of new cases or outbreaks that we should consider delaying lifting some of the restrictions that were originally granted? Yeah, so um, there's no exact number. It's, it's understanding what's happening in our community across the province, understanding the outbreaks that we know about and how they're developing, making sure that we have the surveillance in place to recognize these early both individual cases but also anybody who those are the things that we've been talking about around our advanced testing protocol now for a change in our testing protocol so that anybody with symptoms gets tested, that we have still surveillance for um, any respiratory illness as long as that complete gets tested for COVID-19 
Hi, good afternoon, Dr. Henry. Thank you for your briefing. Um, I'm here to ask healthcare workers in public, private, nonprofit facilities to say they haven't heard anything from employers or government or their unions about how the new staffing orders you announced about a month ago are impacting uh, their work and their pay. Um, I'm wondering if you have an update on the status of the staffing change um, and what information you could give these workers for saying that they're still in the dark. Say that there is ongoing work being done on that, um, and certainly in some areas it's already been uh, settled. It may be that uh, people are not uh, uh, they may miss some communication from their unions. There's also um, a good proportion of people who aren't affected by it in that they've only worked at one facility. So it may uh, the focus really is on people who have been working at more than one facility for the time. And it may be that uh, the job that they are doing is not one of the ones where um, there has needed to be a change in, in uh, uh, pay scale, for example. So um, it's hard to tell, but uh, the issues are what the issues are with the individuals. But I will say um, it definitely is progressing. Um, it's been uh, further ahead than the post release we said before. Um, rates are now very complicated and lower being met because people go into hospital inventories. So those people who um, were working in more than one facility are the ones that are going to see the, the changes and be affected by this um, most and earliest. Um, but I do fully expect everybody will um, have a better understanding um, as, the, as things go on. Next question is from Betsy Evans-Hoffman, Yeah, hi, Dr. Henry. Uh, 
talk a little bit more about any uh, COVID-19 wards and hospitals that are looking at transitioning at this time so that elective surgeries can restart? Yeah, so we're, we're looking at it in the whole system um, way. There are still um, a big, big intensive care units and a number of hospitals that have numbers of cases in them. But we're looking at uh, transitions because when, when you start elective surgeries, you have to use the prosthetics that are recovery wounds and you operate those, which were all part of our um, strategy for surge capacity should be needed in intensive care. So how we ramp those up in a way that is thoughtful and, and um, systematic is some work that uh, others are doing, including uh, our department in BC heard about. Um, so yes, th those are part of the strategies we're looking at. How do we um, have um, separate spaces for spaces and, and regular hospital beds and wards and to be able to um, essentially have those cohorted so that um, everything else in the hospital can go on as well. We're also talking about um, strategies for reducing the numbers of hospitals that take COVID patients as their numbers decrease so that uh, we can ramp up more fully in other facilities. Recognizing, of course, that we are not yet going through this entirely and we can still see explosive outbreaks in our country and I think we need to be brief and informative and lucky in that we've caught uh, some of these early but we can't let them grow and grow harder and we see in Alberta we see in, in uh, Ontario as well that these can be very hard early on so we need to um, hold the line right now but those are all the planning that is going on um, through uh, reopening making new health care services Thank you very much.